we be open our Bibles to Matthew 5 and Galatians 5. I, I just wanted to make a comment about one of the songs we just sang. I'm so glad for those songs we sang today because they point us to the greatness of God and how great He is. And because today we're going to talk about meekness and what that means. And, uh, but, I, but that last song we were talking about, The Great I Am, I, I was listening to some Christians having a discussion and uh, one of the, the guys asked the question, can the devil travel, you know, outside of time? Can he go from the present to the past to the present to the future? And the answer is no. Because if he could, he'd go back to before the crucifixion and he'd make sure they didn't kill Jesus. Right? So the Terminator is like his dream. But it doesn't work. But guess what? God is not limited by time because he created it. So he is the great I am in the past and he is still dwelling there. He's the great I am in our present and he dwells here. He will be the great I am in the future and he's already dwelling there. You can't come to a time or a place in all of creation where God is not. He is the I am. He always is I am. He always will be the great I am. I really appreciate all those songs. Uh, but that one, uh, boy, just, uh, that, that's, a, that's rapture practice right there, man. You want to you wanna jump up and not come back down when you're singing something like that. Well, we're in a series called What Does God Expect? And what we're doing is this your first Sunday here. Um, we do have an app, a website. You can go in there and listen to past sermons. And, and really, Pastor Stephen kicked this off four weeks ago, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. Because uh, I, I want to say during this sermon that, that all of this is only possible as we walk in the Spirit. That's, uh, when we get to Galatians, we'll, we'll look at that passage a little bit more. But these things are not automatic. The, 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 the Beatitudes and the, and the fruit of the Spirit is not automatic in our life. It is present, it's available, but we have to access it. We have to, to gather up our will in order to, to access, access the, these blessings. So today we're talking about meekness, and how do you like that graphic? Pretty cool, huh? That, that means meek ain't weak, okay? Uh, Pastor Andy came up with that, because I've been struggling trying to find the word meek, and, and I finally figured out why I was having trouble defining it. I don't like it. It goes against everything we're taught. It goes against our culture as Americans. Uh, we have the flag today out, because today's 9-11, and we we do, uh, you know, remember the families that, that lost people in, in that event and the 20 years after that of war. Um, the Queen of England died this week on 9-12 at the changing of the guard. She broke a tradition, thou, uh, you know, over a thousand years of Britain uh, history and played the Star Spangled Banner. The Star Spangled Banner is not that old, but nobody's conquered England in that long. And, and she did that. Took her a long time to acknowledge that we did beat them in the revolution. But um, we have the flag today to remind us of, of, of that cost and, and that thing. And meekness, I'm going to define it a little bit, is not weakness. Pastor Andy thought of saying it this way. And we, we said, oh, you, he said, I remember I can see his face. Well, I, oh, yeah, like tattoos on a finger, you know. And we were, ooh, that would fit. I said, well, maybe I could write them in a magic marker. But I was afraid you wouldn't get the joke, so I didn't do it. But I'll tell you, that is one of our members' hands. We took a picture of somebody's hands, and we did the rest with, uh, with, with art. So I wanted it up there a while so you could enjoy that. Because meekness is not weakness, and I'll tell you the difference in just a minute. 
Here, here's what I want you to take home with you today. I, I call this sermon the meek or mighty. But it is only through meekness that the world will see the might of God. Because if I'm strong, I'm throwing shade on him. God's strength is made perfect in weakness is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Right? And so there is a difference between weakness and meekness. And so I, I want to try to define this word meek for you. Uh, if, if you're in Matthew is where, kind of where you ought to be. In, in Matthew 5 and verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So what does it mean to be, to be meek? As I said, these beatitudes are developed in our life. Uh, even those songs we were singing, we're talking about a little bit about how we grow in the, the knowledge and the image of Jesus Christ. And, and so it is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, but we have to gather up our will and submit to that work of God in our life. They are developed as a result of our obedience. When we know God tells us to do something, we ought to do it. God will not give you new information if you're not living up to what he's already told you. And so if you want to grow in Christ, you obey what you know, and then he comes and gives you more as you move ahead. So what is meekness? Meekness is a humble patience or quiet in nature, but it is under, but under the provocation of others. In other words, when you are attacked, can you remain quiet and calm and not, not react in a violent way? In other words, you allow yourself to be imposed upon. That's what meekness means. That's why I don't like it. You voluntarily allow others' will to, to dominate uh, in, in your life. You see, weakness, notice what I'm saying, weakness, not meekness. Weakness is an inability to respond. So, if you say, well, I'm just gentle, but you don't have any power to, to defend yourself or to fight back, that's not meekness, that's weakness. Meekness has the power to defend itself and makes a choice to stay gentle and not do it. Now, again, we don't like that. There is room for self-defense. There is room for defense in Scripture and this teaching. But, but I, I want you to understand, meekness is not passivity. It is a decision you make. And as I struggle with this, well, let me, let me say this. Weakness, I mean meekness, is power under control. In fact, the last part, the last thing listed in the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we're headed there. You notice these build on each other. We started with poor in spirit, which means you don't have the capacity to do anything. Then you mourn because you realize you're helpless and you need, you need help. Now we come to meekness, where God puts his power in you, but you use it at his will, not at your own will. You don't, you don't say, oh, I've got all this power. I mean, there, there are plenty of preachers talk about that, well, God's living in you. And that power is given to us to help us to minister like Jesus did. So it's going to be important for us to see what did Jesus do. And there's a lot of evidence that Jesus was meek, uh, like what he said and what he did. Okay, He actually did that. And uh, was he weak? Not at all. I mean, I'm going to ask you just a kind of a philosophical question. It's... Um, it's, it's a silly question because it, it couldn't have happened, but, well, I'll say this, it couldn't have happened and you'd be saved anyway. I, under, I understand for us to be saved, Jesus had to go to the cross. This was the will of God, it had to happen, right? But did it have to happen? 
it, it had to happen if you, you, you want to be saved, but could G, was Jesus powerless to not go to the cross? I mean, was he so powerless he could have not done anything about it? No, he said, I lay my life down. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. I pick it up again. We used to sing a gospel song when I was a kid. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set us free. Jesus could have said, uh-uh, this ain't happening. He even prayed in the garden, God, are you sure, Father, are you sure this is your will? Because I really don't want to go. That, that humanity saw the suffering, not the suffering of the physicality of the cross, but the suffering of taking on the sins of the entire world from Adam to the last man. And he took on all of that sin on himself and went to a cross taking that burden, knowing he'd be separated from God for the first time ever in history and never to happen again, that he would actually be separated from his father for that moment. So that he could die in our place. It's a total lack of pride. And Jesus showed no pride. I, I thought about sort of introducing the sermon by saying I'd written a book on, hu on humility. The first 10 pages were pictures of me, you know. I'm so proud of being humble, right? Humbleness and meekness are very similar. There's a, there's a little bit of difference there. But, but I want to give you some references about Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. There, there, that word there, it, it, it defines meekness. He's saying that I am gentle. I'm lowly in heart. I am I'm meek. In Matthew eleven uh, twenty nine, 29, but then in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, and listen carefully to this passage. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. And then listen to these words, but emptied himself. In Greek, that's one word, kenosis. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you. Just wanted you to know there is a word there. It's the only time this word appears in the Greek New Testament. And what it means is that Jesus came to earth and put on a human suit and pushed out or emptied himself. He never acted independently as God while he was in his flesh before his crucifixion. Now, afterwards, we got a whole new story, okay? But as he lived out his life, and the reason was... Because how did sin come into the world? Through Adam, right? Adam chose to disobey God and he sinned. For us to be saved, and that sin was passed upon all men because God set it up that way. If you and I are going to be saved, a man has to live a perfect life and then die for everybody else's sin. So God himself became a man and lived an entire life as a man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, but as a man. He did not say, well, I'm God, I can do what I want. And I'll show you in a minute what he said about that. But as a man, he obeyed the will of the Father and died in our place. Now, the, the encouragement there is he, he told us, it's good, I'm going away. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But when, I, when he comes, he's going to fill you. He's going to give the power of God into you so that you have the same power he had to live his life. He said you'll do greater works than I do. Because the Holy Spirit's coming. Here's what goes on to say in Philippians. But emptied himself. 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To whom was he obedient? To the Father's will. And he became that man and died in our place so that you and I could be saved. He emptied himself of his deity. That's meekness. He did not do his own will. And in fact, uh, in John 6, 37 to 40, here's what he said. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Remember, meekness is allowing someone else's will to be imposed upon you. Could Jesus have rebelled against the Father's will? Yeah, everything would have disappeared. I get it's kind of a rhetorical question. But that is still a position in which Jesus submitted himself. And he goes on to say, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So because Jesus obeyed the will of God, that was meekness. He, he said, I don't speak my own words. I speak the ones he tells me to speak. I don't do my own will. I do the will of the Father who sent me. And, and in Philippians, because he did that, the part I didn't read in there goes on to say, and because of this, God has given Jesus a name above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess uh, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to contrast Jesus with, with someone else. And by the way, I, I do need to go back and clear one little thing up. I talked about Adam sinned and that sin was passed on. So that man who came to live that perfect life had to live a righteous life and pass righteousness on. You with me? By the way, you can read this in Romans 5 when you go home today. And so we were born the first time in Adam. When I was born on July 21st, 1959 at 5.18 in the morning, weighing 8.15 in St. Francis Hospital, Charleston, South Carolina, I was born in the image of Adam, broken, sinner, needing a savior. But in June of 1968, as an eight-year-old boy, when I said yes to Jesus, I was born again spiritually into the line of Christ. And I am no longer in the line of Adam. I'm a new creation. I look like I did when I was born in Adam's, right? I don't look like that baby, but if you want to see a picture of me as a baby, come off. I got my dad holding me as a baby. You can see me. It's as ugly as any baby ever. So it's, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, sorry. But now I'm supposed to look like Jesus because I'm born into a new line. You with me? It's... It, I want you to understand that because we are identified with Jesus in his death and his life. And that's what he does in us. But, but I want to contrast him with another character in history known as we call him Satan. Ezekiel 28 describes him. Not asking you to turn there. But in there, God is pronouncing these judgments on nations. And he starts talking about the king of a certain nation. But when he does... We see that as maybe a double uh, application because the way he describes it, it can't be a man. Because it says you were with me in the beginning. 
When God created, the first things he created, Satan was the first one. That wasn't his title back then. He had a different name. But when you read that description, it talks about how he looked like every precious stone on earth. Like he's just beautiful and light is shining off him. And, and he was the highest point of creation and, and just physical beauty and power. And then in Ezekiel, there's a little phrase and it says, and because of what you saw in yourself, your wisdom was perverted. His pride perverted his wisdom. And what did that same creature say to Eve in the garden? Oh, God just does not want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. But if you eat that, you'll be like God. That was Satan's desire, and his wisdom was perverted. He couldn't be God. He was a created being. There's no way he could be God. But in his knowledge, when it became perverted, he tries to be the big shot. Who is the big shot? Jesus, right? So how did the big shot come and reveal himself to us? As a baby? In a cave? or a, We think of it as a barn, but it's probably a cave, but a place where they kept animals. We call it a stable. And he was born and wrapped up in death clothes and put in the feeding trough. Well, wait a minute. I thought you were the big shot. But he took on the form of a man. Became a slave to the will of God and died in our place. Do you see the difference between pride and arrogance? Humility and weakness? Jesus came and appeared weak, but he wasn't weak. He was meek. You with me? You with me? You see, meekness defends the oppressed. It doesn't defend itself. And I'll give you an example. One that you may not have ever caught, because I didn't, until I was uh, studying uh, this. That Jesus was meek when he cleansed the temple. Look with me. Just hold, hold, you don't have to hold your place, but look in Luke 19. This is where uh, Luke records the cleansing of the temple. And what's interesting is Luke is the only one that, that gives us this context. Look in verse 41 of Luke 19. Here's what it says. And when he drew near and saw the city, what city? He's going to Jerusalem. He wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. What was going to happen? He was going to the cross. He's headed straight to the cross. Not that same 24-hour day, but that week, he's going to the cross. And he said, if you would have just understood the things that make for peace... But now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and harm you on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And the very next verse says, and he entered the temple. And what did he see when he got in there? He saw people with tables set up because you could not just bring any currency. As, people came, as Jews came from around the world to worship, they would bring their hometown money. Nope, sorry, you got to have our money. And so they would exchange the money, only they didn't give them a fair rate. It wasn't a one-to-one. -one. They would make money on the exchange of the money. Oh, you need, you need a couple of doves to offer as a sacrifice? 
Well, it's sort of like buying a hot dog at a, at a major league sporting event. It's still a dollar hot dog, but it costs you about 25 bucks, right? And I'm just making those numbers up. I don't know what they actually cost because I don't go to major league sporting events that often. So that's what they were doing to people. <laughs> but, hey, we got the right kind of dove right here, man. It's only going to be 10 shekels, you know. I don't know what it costs, but you get what I'm saying? Where was Jesus moments before? He's crying over the city. He walks into the place where people ought to hear about God who loves them and wants to save them through his Messiah who is Jesus. And instead, there's a bunch of people in there making money on people seeking God. And I don't believe when he turned over those tables, I believe there was emotion. I believe that... that, that he felt a great burden in his heart, but I believe he did it in tears. How dare you do this when these people want to know God? You've got to get this out of here. My father's house is a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. His heart is broken. He had the power just to vroom, thunderbolt them out of there. But he held that back and he tried to plead with them to come and follow God and to make that house what it ought to be, a house of prayer. You see, in Matthew 20, Jesus said this. He called, he called them to himself, and he said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It won't be this way among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You ever seen a religious higher-up that acted like the big shot? You don't have to answer that because all of you have. <laughs> um, you know that, that I'm gonna, I don't mean to offend anybody, but you know that funny hat the Pope wears? It's got like a point on I got one of those one time, and a guy, I knew a guy was coming to my office, so I put it on. And he walked in and I said, I got a promotion. <laughs> Yeah. Who, who's the boss? Jesus. Not me, not you, Jesus. Right? We are all his servants. We all serve a different role in, in, in his family. But that's who we are. We are not more important because of our position. It's just different. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. The Bible says in the Old Testament, Promotion comes not from the east or the west, but the Lord raises up one, he puts down another. God's in charge of all that. And if you get to a place of, of, of authority or, or, you know, whatever you think that is, a, a place of power or prestige, you better remember that you, that's a blessing of God and it doesn't have much to do with you. That we are called to be servants of all, that we are called to be slave. Meekness is counterintuitive to our very human sin nature and the practices of American culture. And that culture has crept into our churches. Both individually and in some churches, we can become proud. We can be corrupted like Satan was, our wisdom be twisted. And we forget that the glory and the blessing that God may give to us as a church or as an individual didn't happen because of us. It happened because of God and it belongs to Him. Amen? You see, we seek acclaim and success when Jesus calls us only to faithfulness. We're called to a meek servanthood, a slavery, if you will, that Jesus modeled. 
we're supposed to act like him. And how did he act? He washed the disciples' feet. He did the job of the lowest servant. And he did it that one time. But at the end of it, he said, do you get what I just did? Because the Bible tells us he took off the garments of deity and came to earth and said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he served us by living that life and dying on a cross. And the Hebrews 1 says, and when he got done, he went back and put back on his garments and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is in a seat of authority and power now. And he's fixing to come back. And when every eye sees him, they're going to go, whoops. We thought he was just a baby in a manger. No, he is God Almighty. He's the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He was born in a manger among beasts, not in a palace of glory. And if we are faithful... To the call to be humble servants, we'll see sons of God be born into the kingdom. And they'll be rejoicing about God being glorified, not rejoicing in our achievements. You know, Satan is the God of this world. The Bible says that in Corinthians, that people are lost because the God of this world has blinded their eyes lest they see the glorious gospel. So the Bible, after Jesus' death and resurrection, says that Satan is the God of this world. And he's not the God, he, but he is the God of this world right now. He still holds sway. We are in war behind enemy lines fighting for Christ to bring all the nations into subjection to Jesus. If you don't see Christianity that way, you, you just you didn't catch it yet or nobody's ever told you that. Psalm 2, Jesus did what he did and then he empowered us to go into all the world and preach the gospel that the nations might be brought into subjection to Christ through salvation. So when we go to another nation or city or state or down the street to spread the gospel, we are at war with our enemy who hates God, who hates Jesus, and we go with humility and weakness and meekness, I should say, because we realize we don't have anything to offer except Jesus because we are broken in spirit. We mourn that and we are meek. We know I, the best I do is nothing great to God. I just have to go and obey him. Satan is the God of this world, tells us that we must be successful. But Jesus showed us how to be surrendered. The world tells us to seek power, to gain power. But Jesus shows us how to be persecuted. The world system tells us to be bold for yourself, fight for your right. But Jesus showed us how to be surrendered. The world tells us to, as I said, to be bold, but we're to be brokenhearted. Culture tells us to be strong, but Jesus showed us how to be a servant. And in this life, everybody wants to be hailed as a hero. Jesus showed us how to be humble. The world system tempts us to strive to be famous. We live in a celebrity culture, don't we? But Jesus showed us how to be faithful, not famous. And then what happens? The meek inherit the earth. Oh, you mean I don't have to work hard my whole life and make a whole lot of money so I can buy that 100-acre farm? Well, you can if you want to, and God blesses some people to do that. And I'm glad he does because I hope you invite me over. I love it. Thank you. I mean, it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to worship money. Right? Possess your money. Don't let your money possess you, right? That's meekness. Hey, all this is a blessing from God. I want to use it for his glory. That's awesome. That's what God gave you whatever he gave you. 
Whether you are the poorest or the richest, whether you're the weakest or the strongest, whatever God gave you, he gave it to you so that you could submit it to his will and live like Jesus did to glorify God. And so, as with all of this, we are called to meekness, and he says, here's the payoff, you inherit the earth. I used to think that meant, you know, you got like this little piece of land. Like I picked out a couple places like, hey, Lord, you know, that'd be nice if I had that one. That'd be really cool. I don't, I, 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 I tend to think now that maybe I don't get a little, and maybe I get a specific, but I don't care how it works. But we are joint heirs with Christ. He rules the world. We rule the world with him. Because we're joint heirs with him, one day it'll be seen, oh, you're a joint heir. All this is yours too. Paul said this in the Bible, having all things, possessing nothing. Listen to what he's saying. I have everything that God has. It is mine. It's available to me through the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as many as the promises of God in Jesus there. Yes, and we give the amen. But I don't own any of it. It's not mine to do with as I wish and I, pl- and I will. It is his to use in my life for his will and his glory. And at the end, I get to inherit the earth. My illustration for this is kind of old. How many of you ever heard the cartoon Pinky and the Brain? What are we doing today, brain? Same thing we do every day, Pinky. Taking over the world. And if you need an 80s, another 80s reference, Tears for Fears, everybody wants to rule the world. That's the world's way. Guess what? He's going to give it to me. <laughs> Because I'm one of his. Men try to gain as much of this world as they can, but the meek will inherit the earth. It is a gift to the one who is meek. We'll reign with Christ on earth, on this earth in the millennium, and then he's going to make a new one that's even better than this one, and we're going to reign with him there too. And what is the corresponding part of the fruit of the Spirit? The third one down in the list. First, There was love, then there was joy, this one is peace. Why why would peace go with meekness? Because it's not easy to be meek. You you are going to be put upon. But peace is the serenity that is brought to us in the knowledge that I belong to Christ and everything that he has one day is also mine. And in obedience to his will, he brings all that he is to me. And when I am obeying him, I don't have to worry about the outcome. Because peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of God in the conflict. You following me? There were these three boys from Jerusalem. They got carried off to Babylon uh, about 500, 600 years before Jesus got here. And those three boys, the the king set up a 90-foot-tall statue of himself. And he said, okay, everybody's got to fall down and worship this thing when you hear all the music start playing. And so everybody did. The music played, and the whole everybody just fell on their face. And there were just three boys standing there. They're not going down. So the king gets really mad at them for not worshiping his image. They call him in and say, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Said, maybe your God can deliver you, but that's where you're headed. And they said, well, king, let me just tell you something. You're right, our God can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we're not bound to your stinking idol. 
So that kind of made the king mad. So he heated it up seven times hotter, threw, bound them, threw them in there. And it was so hot, the guys that threw them in, and, you know, we think of as walking in the door. It's kind of like throwing them down into this thing that's burning. And he throws them, they throw them in. The men that threw them in got killed by the heat. And then the king's kind of peeking in there, and he said, did we throw, throw three guys tied up in there? They said, yeah, why? He said, because I see four guys walking around. The fourth looks like the son of God. Hey, boys, come on out. I don't know how they got out, but they got out. And the Bible says even the smell of smoke wasn't on them. But I want you to understand something. God may not always deliver you from the fire. But you can have the peace of God in the fire. Notice what they said. But if he doesn't. We're not going to bow to your idol. Why? Because they knew the presence of God. They knew the power of God. They didn't care whether they died or not. Because they were submitted to the will of God. Not to their own will to preserve their own body. Their own flesh. Their own life. They were willing to die and follow God's will. Peace always comes when we do God's will. So how do you display this fruit of the Spirit? We display it when we respond to the will of God in the face of opposition because that's what meekness is. And this ninefold nutrition that is the fruit of the Spirit is available as we walk in the Spirit. I told you I'd show it to you. I hope you're in Galatians 5. Listen to verse uh, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And then you come down um, to verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We live out this life by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. That's why I'm so grateful, Pastor Stephen's sermon four weeks ago. That the Holy Spirit comes and His presence is with us so that we can do what God called us to do. We don't do the things to gain the favor of God and the presence of God God gives us his favor and presence as a gift that's why it's called grace you didn't deserve it you didn't earn it it's a gift from him so that then we can live out the things we ought to do and if we're not living out what we ought to do we have to question did I ever come to God and get that grace from God that's the point if you're not walking in that power of God you're not walking in the spirit you're not in the word and letting the word mold your life then you ought to check it and make sure you are where you ought to be. We display peace when our enemy attacks us. We're at peace. He is with us in the valley. He prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. And we just sit down and feast while our enemy wars against us. We have no fear of facing a fiery furnace. We have peace. I hope today you realize that, that meekness swims upstream of everything that we teach in, in our nation. In our work, our homes, and our church, Christ has called us to a kingdom living in the here and now. We must humble ourselves to be a kingdom citizen. And we have to exercise our will to do that. We have to put our force into that. So our, the question is, are you willing to surrender your pride to have your own way? Are you willing to become obedient to the revealed will of God according to the scriptures? To love all men, lost and saved. To serve Christ by serving the needs of the world. To go where the gospel has been underserved or is not being served at all. To give your last ounce of strength for the will of God. One of the most 
my favorite things that Jesus told his disciples. He was giving them an example. And he said, okay, let me put it this way. Which of you, if you had a servant, and he went outside and he worked all day for you out in the field. When he came in, would you say, sit down here and eat? Or would you tell him, hey, make my supper. I'm going to eat, and then you can eat when I'm done. No, he said, you're going to tell him, go make my supper before you sit down to eat. He said, should that servant think he would be thanked for, making, for, for working in the field and then making the supper first? He said, no. He said, so likewise you, when you've done all you can do, say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I have only done that which is my duty to do. Man, we do a little thing for God and we think, Ooh, I, my hands are put on backwards. I can't make anything. The other day, I had to, I had to change out a doorknob. Every man in here is going, yeah, so? I was so proud. It worked. It actually worked when I put it on. I couldn't believe it. When Jazz got home, I wanted to say, look, look what I did. And all the guys in here are going, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I was so excited because I changed the doorknob and it worked. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. And we do that as Christians, don't we? God uses us in a way that we didn't think we were capable because you weren't. You, you need him for everything. But then you lapse into thinking that was because you were great. No, it's because he's great. And you let him live in you and through you. Amen. That's what meekness means. Not make it personal about you. Make it personal about God. And then defend the powerless. Defend the weak. Help those who cannot help themselves by the power of God in your life.